Three Beers In, a craft podcast with beer news and reviews. Here's your host, Dominic Ribello. I found one of the original cup holders from a nut cup holder. What is this? A coaster. And it's going to hold my beverage here. From deep underground in Staten Island's beer bunker slash virtual saloon, welcome to yet another episode of Three Beers In. The craft beer show bringing you the latest beer news and unique craft beer reviews. I'm Dom, and this is episode number 174. Right? 174. And let me get my notebook out here. What are we drinking today? It's none other than Ship Bottom Brewery's offering of Barnegat Lager. Uh, Barnegat Lager, or Barnegat. Either way, it's a it's a nice little brewery in New Jersey, and it's got a lighthouse on it. It's a really nice can. I don't have one in front of me right now, but it, it looks really, really special, really, really nice. You know me. I'm a stickler for beer styles and having to get things right. <clears throat> I'm having a tough time placing what type of beer this is. Let me just put this down here. Um, so on beeradvocate.com here, it says that this particular beverage is an American Lager, but on their website here in their beer lineup, they say that this is a quote tribute to Old Barney, the most iconic landmark on Long Beach Island. Our classic German lager has a malty aroma with a subtle fruit flavor from the Munich malt and has a very crisp finish. So I said to myself, Wow, great! A Munich style lager, German style lager. This is going to be really fantastic. But it's, here's the little linchpin here. And for those of you that are more uh, well-versed in the beers, you'll understand that at an ABV of 6.3%, that just can't be. 6.3% is just way too high for these these German lagers and pilsners and the like. So then I looked on beeradvocate.com and I see that there's a beer style called the Pilsner Imperial. And I went a little bit deeper because, you know, I got a little bit of a deep dive and I can't find any type of German influenced, excuse me, like a German origin for this particular type of Pilsner. It seems to be pretty uniquely American and it's 6.5% up. So it still doesn't hit that criteria. So even though it does feature a lot of German characteristics, this beer, which I haven't had yet, but I will have soon-ish. After I bring the show in right now, I'm having a founders all day. I'm still, this is the last of them. So there's that. But where does this fall in terms of the style of the beer? It might be an American lager. Who knows? We'll find out soon enough when I have it. I do hope that the the German characteristics that they talk about here do shine through. We shall see. Here I am again. Another week, guys. I, uh, it wasn't easy. It was pretty, pretty Hot outside. Uh, I mean, I'm just, I don't want to talk about the weather at nauseum on my beer show, but it is what it is. To all of our Floridian listeners and people south of the Mason-Dixon line that are being affected right now by Hurricane uh, is, 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 Isis. Hurricane Isis is reaching the shores right now. A little bit of levity for you guys. Be safe, okay? We got a lot of listeners from Florida, and I know that as of this recording right now, it's Sunday at, what time is it here? Sunday at 4 p.m. I believe it's right off the coast of, like, Port St. Lucie on the edge of Florida down there, right in the middle of the island, I believe. 
So I really hope that everyone is doing well with that. And I hope everyone's prepared for any power outages or any damages that may uh, accrue from it. Also proud to announce and happy to announce that the July Basho has ended. It was really, really fun sumo to watch. I watched every single day, which I'm very proud of myself for doing, that I was able to catch every single uh, uh, match of this particular sumo basho. Congratulations to Turin Fuji for winning the tournament. This is a guy who was uh, demoted out of the top division because of injury and worked his way all the way back up. He sat at the Magashira, I think, 17, which is like dead last. Uh, unfortunately, the other sumo wrestler... Oh, no, no, I'm actually... Okay, so I'm kind of split. So Turin Fuji won. He's not one of my favorites. Um, the rest of my favorites, Tochi Notion, he went 10-5, and five, which is really, really good. Chiyomaru, he went 4-11, and 11, which is not good, and he might get demoted to the Jurio division, which is like the next level down, which means he won't be televised anymore. And he's also a big fan favorite, so that's a bit of a, of a heartbreaker there. Takayasu, 10-5, and 5, back to his old ways, the former uh, Ozeki, trying to climb his way back up. Still young, still can do it. He really showed some spirited sumo. And uh, my other favorite, Takakesho, the current Ozeki, he now had uh, pulled out because of injury. And we have to see where it goes from there because he might actually get uh, demoted to Komosubi or Sekawake because of what had happened there. But I might do a separate like bonus podcast that's kind of all sumo because, um, I don't know, I really like it. And I, and I think that uh, I do have a couple of people that have emailed me about the sumo stuff. So I might do... Uh, I might do my own thing with that. But uh, I'm fu- I'm also now in full-on football mode, honestly, because uh, fantasy football is coming, and I have to prepare myself as if the season is going to go on. It is such a weird time right now here in the States because of the COVID-19, because of what's going on with everything uh, in terms of what can happen to people. You're seeing it with baseball right now. There, there are cancellations of games and stuff because of uh, players contracting COVID-19. Uh, it's running through uh, situations there. There's a lot of players in football that are opting out of the season because of COVID-19, and that has an impact on everything. So it's something to pay attention to, um, you know, if you're a fantasy football player and stuff. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to digest as much information for fantasy football but also got to keep in mind the COVID-19 stuff. And that's been a bit of a, a bit of a headache, but it's been a bit of a headache for everybody, but we're going to continue on regardless. And I got to tell you a little story about what happened to me uh, this week. So I made a little bit of a cigar mistake, right? So uh, for those of you that know me, I'm, I'm, I'm a cigar enthusiast. I like cigars. I like to enjoy cigars once in a while, but uh, I'm like a one or two a week cigar kind of guy. I don't want to do it too, too much. Right. So there's this website called CigarBid.com. It's sort of like an eBay for cigars, and it gives the common man like myself, just a blue-collar dude, a chance to try to bid and win on some premium cigars. And you maybe get them for about, you know, 10 to $15 off. So what did I do? I finished the podcast last week, had a little bit more to drink, got a little drunk, okay, a little drunk, and I went on cigarbid.com and I made a whole bunch of bids on a whole bunch of stuff. Now, I got to tell you, I really, I rarely ever won on cigarbid.com. And I bid on some premium cigars from AJ Fuentes. And um, I even bid on an Alec Bradley Caribbean cast box of cigars. Now, these things retail. So the box of cigars like retails for like 142 bucks. And I bid like 35 bucks on it, right? Now, I, like I said, I never really win in cigarbid.com. <clears throat> so what I had actually done was... 
I made all these bids and I was like, I never fucking win. So let me go to the buy now tab. I went to the buy now tab and for 50 bucks, I bought a, a man of war, a man of war um, sampler, right? To give me, cause I wanted to try these premium cigars. I was smoking these Drew Estates that were uh, a bit inexpensive and you, you know, you could tell in the quality. So, so I did that on Sunday night and I think on like Wednesday or Thursday, I'm walking to work. It's like six 40 in the morning. I'm walking. And I get a text from my wife that she says, you spent $200 on cigars. And I just was like, what the fuck? What? $200 on cigars. I go in my phone. I see on the account that yes, cigar bid took out 200 bucks. And I'm like, Oh my God, what, what happened? So then I go on cigarbid.com. I go through my order history I won every single thing that I bid on. No one outbid me. So needless to say, I was a bit surprised. And this was sort of a happy mistake because, yes, I spent $200 on cigars. But the premium nature of these cigars brought the grand total up to about 560 bucks. I shit you not. Okay? The, I won the fucking box of Alec Bradley's, which again retails for one forty two, and I got it for thirty five bucks. There were these AJ Fuentes five packs that retail for eighty dollars, and I won them for fifteen bucks and twelve bucks. It was unbelievable. I made out like a bandit. Yes, I spent two hundred bucks, and I don't like to spend that much money on cigars because I, I, it's infrequent for me. I, now I have fifty plus cigars. Okay, sitting up in the Tupperdor, which because I can't, I don't have a humidor. I don't want to spend the money on that stuff, but the Tupperdor can can handle it. And now I have, now I'm trying to give them away. I'm like telling people, hey, we want to come over cigars, you know? Like we have all these cigars. I'm bringing them to people. I handed, I I gave away like six of them the other night to um to a friend. Literally, I, I couldn't believe it. But this is also an endorsement of CigarBid.com. Like me, you could go and have these premium cigars for little as $15 to $12. I, I think the least I spent was 12 bucks on a five-pack, and I think it retailed for like 72 bucks. I couldn't believe it. I don't, know, I don't know if there was a glitch in the system, but I made these bids on the Sunday night, and, and I found out on Wednesday, and they showed up on Thursday. That was even the best part of it was... I had no idea. There was no anticipation because I didn't know I won. There was nothing to anticipate. You know what I mean? So when they just arrived, it was just so fucking great. Because, you know, you go Amazon, you wait two days, it comes and blah, blah, blah. This was like a, this was so, so wonderful. It was like a Christmas in July type, literally type situation. And uh, it was really fantastic. Just wanted to share that with you guys. Give you a little levity in these times, you know. The hop of the week here, ladies and gentlemen, happens to be something new. Lotus. Check this out. Lotus Hops is the latest experimental hop variety developed under the Hop Steiner breeding program to now be available to home brewers. This tenacious hop outperformed thousands of brothers and sisters born of the initial crossbreeding and survived a decade-long journey. To become the hottest addition to Hopsteiner's unique profile to ex- of exciting new hops and their varieties, Lotus displays exceptional aromatic characteristics, boasting waves of orange and vanilla, followed by notes of candied grape and tropical fruit aromas. Lotus's genetic origin stems from Eastern Gold, 
a Japanese hop variety dating back to the 1930s, followed by a mix of Apollo, Cascade, and USDA male. The USDA male was bred from an open-pollinated seeding of a wild American hop developed by Y College in England. The cross from the USDA male and the Neo-Mexicanus heritage adds an additional layer of complexity and uniqueness to this variety. This is a new hop, guys. And I wonder where we can find it. I'm going to have to try to look into that. But the alpha acid composition is anywhere from 13 to 17%. It's from America. The flavors are orange, berry, and tropical. And it's used for aroma and flavor. And when I saw this Hopsteiner situation, I wanted to see what it was all about. So I uh, I did a Google. I did a Google, Hopsteiner.com. And what do we have here? I'm going to turn the music off for this part here. It happens to be, um, I always heard of Yakima Valley or Yakima Valley and kind of that was it. But Hopsteiner apparently has thrown their hat into the ring here when it comes to making some hops. So Hopsteiner, and this is from their website. <clears throat> and, I, and this is unbelievable. This is the first time I'm ever hearing about these guys. So you heard it here first on Three Beers In, or maybe you could uh, tell me a thing or two. But Hopsteiner is a vertically integrated global hop supplier dedicated to delivering the finest hops and hop products available. <sighs> Founded in 1845, which is a long time ago, and now makes me feel a little bit dumber than I know about them. Hopsteiner is a sixth-generation grower that continues to advance the industry as one of the foremost international hop-growing, breeding, training, and processing firms in the world. Hopsteiner ships hops globally and partners with breweries of all sizes, offering unique hop varieties and innovative hop products designed to enhance flavor, aroma, consistency, and flexibility for brewing and beyond. So real quick, um, they have a they have a, um, a frequently asked questions uh, section, but I want to hit this one first. I want to hit their hops and products, and I want to see if I recognize any of the hops that are in their catalog so to speak they have Akoya Apollo I think I've heard of Apollo Bravo Calypso I've heard of Calypso Delta Solero Eureka heard of those Lemon Drop heard of those Lotus which is the new one now we know about that Super Galena heard of those Sultana Trident Zeus heard of those Contessa and Altus also experimental number 15619 never heard of them Obviously, there's a whole bunch of new ones here. Oh, they have Ariana, Ariamis, Bitter Gold. I think I heard of those. Brewer's Gold, heard of. Cascade, Cashmere, heard of those, but I don't think they're unique to them. Oh, they're not unique to them. I guess they just offer it. Okay, I'm so sorry. Let me see here. Is there is there a cutoff here in terms of what they have? Now, I don't know because they also offer a Chinook, which we know is from like the 70s. Centennial, we know. Columbus and Tomahawk, we know. So El Dorado, obviously, Fuggle. Yeah, they didn't. Hollertau Blanc, Hollertau Magnum. Yeah, they didn't make these. Hollertau or Mitifer, they didn't make these. So now I have to go to the frequently asked questions and see what they've made. Because now I feel like a dum-dum. Because here I am be like, oh my God, I heard of Zeus before. And meanwhile, it probably isn't there. So let's go to learn. And we'll go to the uh, frequently asked questions and see if anything piques our interest here with this. What is a hop? I don't, I don't kid. Does Hopsteiner grow hops? Uh, yes, Hopsteiner is one of the largest international hop-growing trading processing firms in the world, producing top... Okay, we read that already. Uh, what is Hopsteiner doing to keep up with demand? No. What makes hop... Okay, what makes them different? Uh, they're just happy to do the stuff they're doing. 
how can I get new and experimental hop varieties? Ask people to do it. Do you offer organic hops? How long have you been around? What packaging sizes? They're not really offering anything in terms of like what they've done. I have a question. I actually, I'm going to submit this question right now. What, which ones have you invented here? First name, Dominic. I'm doing this right now. R E B E L O position title host of three mother. Put this here. I'm going to, I'm going to make it seem like host of, okay, hold on. Host of craft beer podcast of top host of top capital T top craft beer podcast entitled three beers in company or brewery W three beers in. Yeah. I'm going to put three beers in at gmail.com, which all of you can email too. If you have questions, comments, and concerns, gmail.com. What country am I from? Greatest one on earth, which is the United States. Come on. Why is this fucking with me here? States. Telephone. I'll give my telephone number out here. So, 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 so. I'm from New York. New York. Hey, comma. Which hops are uniquely invented by your company huh let me put that like that i'm just exclamation points here uh and let's see if they, I, re, I agree to receive email communications from hopsteiner and this is what you get when you come to three beers in you get someone coming in. I mean, you got people just do asking the questions that the people want to know. We want to know what have you done? Who are you? And what are you about? And that's what I did right here right now. So we'll see if, we, they, if they get back to me. If they do, you're going to hear about it next week or the week after. I'm going to give them two weeks. I'm going to give them two weeks. If they don't get back to me in two weeks, they are banished. <laughs> the beer news ladies and gentlemen how obnoxious of me to introduce it in this way but i did it i did do it oh sweet oh man it's a, oh okay no i have it queued up so sorry beer news got a couple of articles here some some stuff that you might like and then i have something i got to talk about because this has just been bothering me lately it's about something we talked about last week but nonetheless let's get started oscar blues French's Mustard Beer Review by Jim Varel. And this is from PaceMagazine.com. Had to read about this. Now, normally I do the beer reviews around here, but what the fuck? That's right. Mustard beer. French's Mustard Beer from uh, Oscar Blues. I don't know if I want to get my hands on this bad boy here because it sounds a little weird. But gimmicks and craft beer to go together like hot dogs and mustard. Do they not? Still. I do like a good gimmick, okay? You got me, so sue me. Still, even with that being the case, one really expects one's smiles. Nope, similes, that says similes, to collide in such a literal way. Because that's what I've got for you this morning. Mustard beer. Yes, it does sound gross as I'm reading here, but mustard beer, it's described itself 
on the mustard yellow can, of course, because it is very, very yellow, as you'll see. Tropical wheat beer brewed with French's mustard and other natural flavors, which does not exactly fill one with confidence when you have no further information. Tropical wheat beer, is it fruited? How? Is it like an American pale wheat ale? Is it a wizen? What are we looking at here? But this author is happily to happy to report the beer is not that bad. Mustard beer is a lightly tart wheat ale of some kind in the neighborhood of a Berliner Weiss or Goza, brewed with fruit and, you guessed it, mustard. Directly from the press release, it is infused with key lime, lemon, tangerine, and passion fruit to create a tart, refreshing match for the bright and bold zip of... <laughs> zip. Sorry about the... Of classic yellow mustard. Perfect for summertime backyard barbecues. So they're saying that it's bold. They're saying that it's crazy, but what does it actually taste like? The author goes on to say on the palate, it is bright and immediately refreshing. It's slightly tart and carried by fruit flavors of mango and passion fruit with a kiss of sweetness, but nothing too syrupy. I like the way this guy describes a beer. I wish I would be better at it like this guy. The mustard shows up here in a way that is more undeniable, an X factor that works well with the sweetness uh, to give it more of a honey mustard character. I have no idea about the recipe makeup of this beer, but it seems to fall somewhere between fruited Florida Vice and a modern Goza with mustard seed spiciness standing in for coriander. I get that. You could definitely, because everyone, when they hear this, they're thinking someone just takes a French's mustard and goes right into the batch. That's right. That's not happening. The slight tartness is definitely key to the flavor profile. I'm not sure if it would have worked uh, any way else other than that. Interesting beer. I mean, the way that this guy describes it, I kind of like. I like the um, the cut of his jab. Is that how you say it? Is is that is that how you? Uh, that's how you say it, right? The cut of his jab, because it does sound like he knows how to really give you an idea of what a beer tastes like. So, uh, hats off to this fella. I wish I could do something similar. Postcrescent.com. Now, this one's an interesting article because, as we know, right now, there's a lot of pressure on companies to have a look at what they're putting out there. And Jemima has, has um, changed its logo. Land Lakes has changed its logo. Uh, I think Uncle Ben's changed its logo, right? But Lion & Kugel, which is a very, very popular excuse me, uh, summer shandy. They have the summer shandy. They have like the, the grapefruit one and they have like a lemon one. Everyone loves line and Kugel. If it's in the cooler with Budweiser, you probably grab that, but it's retiring the logo featuring, uh, the native American woman on it. And I hadn't, I really had no idea that that even, I mean, I'm sorry to say, I, I had no idea that was even on the logo, but Lennon Kugel We'll no longer use an image of a Native American woman long associated with the trip, uh, Chippewa Falls-based brewery. Linda Kugel has, for the past several months, been working to update the look and feel of the brand and ultimately decided to retire the image of the Native American woman, said Dick Kugel, the president of the Jacob Kugel uh, Brewing Company, in a statement Friday that he sent um, uh, to... USA Today Network, uh, Wisconsin by Miller's oh Molson Coors. So I guess they're not they're not craft, but beer news nonetheless. Line and Kugel uh, will begin to make changes to the logo and other imagery related to the brand in the coming months, but changes will also continue through 2021. 
Uh, everything from our beers and packs to merchandising and marketing will be reworked with new graphics to pay tribute to our brewery home in Chippewa Falls, but in a different reimagined way. Uh, the Jacob Lindenkugel Brewing Company was a part of Molson Coors, which is now part of Molson Coors. It was founded in 1867 by Jacob, or Jakob probably, Leinenkugel, and was acquired by Miller Brewing in 1988, the year of my birth. According to the site, the Native American woman uh, who graces our label is a, simil- a symbol of our rich heritage in our area. Chippewa Falls, or Chippo- Chippewa uh, Falls, also lies in the heart of what is called the Indian Head Country. The Indian Head area was so named because the border of the northwest corner of Wisconsin forms the profile of an Indian. Uh, we've featured the Native American Indian on our label since the 1930s as a tribute to the special area and rich Indian history. You know, it's funny. I read that article and I didn't expect to get sad just now. I feel, I feel like they were really paying tribute to the to the culture here. I mean, it sounds like it was a really nice tribute to the original location. It doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I guess, I mean, I don't want to get political, honestly. You know, that's, that's not my my thing here on this podcast, but when you're, when you're like changing all these, uh, these names and, and uh, you know, these logos and, you know, like something like this, this is paying tribute to, to, um, to, to the Native Americans and uh, of this country and stuff. So I don't know. It just seems, I don't know. It is what it is. This is another interesting article here. Again, this is from the Poughkeepsie Journal. This is written by Jeffrey Wilson. This is some interesting beer. Oh, hey, I got to take a sip of this beer. Hold on one second. Because I don't want it to sit in the warm too long. Sloop Brewing Company partners with Smutty Nose Brewing Company to expand beer output. This is cool because this is uh, something that is going to help people get uh, Sloop Brewing uh, Company's uh, beverages a lot easier. The Sloop uh, Brewing Company... Hold on. Sorry about that. The Sloop Brewing Company has reached capacity at its East Fishkill facility. The craft brewery is partnering with Smutty Nose Brewing Company to expand their capabilities. Smutty Nose is based in Hampton, New Hampshire, featuring a brewery capacity of 75,000 barrels of beer annually. The East Fishkill Brewery is capable of brewing 28,000 barrels of beer annually. The majority of Sloop beer is still to be brewed locally, and Justin Taylor, the head brewer at Sloop, said Sloop will maintain control over brewing at the New Hampshire facility as well. Quote, by entering into this alternating proprietorship, proprietorship, with uh, Smutty Nose and using their facility uh, to brew, we are able to maintain direct boots on the ground control over our beer from ingredients to process to packaging without sacrificing any of the quality or flavors people have come to expect from our brand. That's from Justin Taylor, their head brewer at Sloop. And I think that's very important because, you know, your name is your brand. I mean, what you built your your brew on is going to carry on there. Joe Turco, director of sales at Mar- and marketing at Sloop, said that the partnership will allow the brewery to meet the demand for its beer. Uh, Sloop is distributed only in 17 states right now, so I'm really happy to see that hopefully this can get out to more people that are out there right now. So if you are listening to this podcast and you are, uh, you know, you don't see Sloop around and you all of a sudden see it popping up in your local uh, brew shop, 
definitely pick up a a, case, uh, a, a four pack or a six pack of it because it is pretty good. They make the juice, quote unquote, juice bomb beer. I think that more exposure to that beer being named Juice Bomb, it's going to bring it a little bit more um, criticism because it's not necessarily, to me, it was not a quote unquote juice bomb. It was good. It was juicy, but um, it was not uh, on the level of a juice bomb like I've had in the past, so to speak. It's not a, a, a King Sue or anything like that. But uh, let's see. They're looking forward to supporting the growth of their brand as the demand for blur, uh, Sloop is on the rise. There, they have the pictures of the they have pictures of the uh, juice bomb, and they're all wearing masks because you have to do that right now during this pandemic. Now, what do we have up? La- uh, I want to get to this one last because this is the one that I lo- you know, almost lost my mind about. But this is a cute little story, uh, something that it's a little bit of a feel-good situation here. And CBSnews.com reports that brewery has suspended its operation after a stork has built its nest in a chimney there. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. And this reminds me of when, it's funny, I don't know, this is a uniquely American thing. But do you recall back in like the like 2010s, is right, I want to say, there was like a couple of situations where like a, a bald eagle was like nesting and they're like, it's going to give birth any second. And they put like a camera on it and you had Karens and, and people all over the America just staring at these webcams for when the, the babies were going to be born. Like, I mean, it was like a really a big thing. I think there was also in like a giraffe cam too. I wonder if it still exists. Probably not now because we're living in the crazy fucking COVID world we're living in and the hyper politicized world. Well, they'd be like, I don't want that giraffe to register as a Democrat, socialist, like bullshit like that. So you can't have that anymore in today's America. But I do know that this was at one point a very unique thing in our country. And uh, the fact that this article comes out makes me wonder if we're trying to maybe get back to those simpler times. But a brewery in the German state of Bavaria has been forced to suspend beer production after a family of storks made themselves at home in one of its chimneys. The birds, a protected species in Germany, uh, has built its nest in the Zwanger Brewery in the village of Urfeld in early spring, bringing production to a grinding halt. And the brewer Christian Schwanger told AV, uh, AFFP news agency that they're just not going to do anything about it. And then what's funny is they put these pictures up of these fucking birds. Now they 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 look they're just walking around this brewery and it looks like they own the joint. Like this this stalk is literally standing on top of what would be a like picnic table for beer drinking. And then there's like a little kids house like one of those little like kitty houses, like those Fisher Price houses for your, probably for your kinder to play. You go to the kinder play while you drink your beer in the garden. So they're not bitter about it because here in Infos, they have about 35 nests of these storks and they're merrily waiting for these birds uh, to hatch and then be free. And I find it really interesting that this is something that's happening in the world. And it was newsworthy. It actually made it to cbsnews.com. So there is hope. There is hope for us people out there in the world that um, uh, that uh, there are simpler things out there in the world right now. So this is interesting. This is another cool article. Uh, and then I'm going to get to the last article. And then we'll get to the beer review. So from this is from the manual.com. And this is from Pat Evans. And he writes here, the 10 most important 
craft beers in American history. And I hope this thing loads. By the way, I'm sorry. I saw an ad earlier from beeradvocate.com that said, the one vegetable your doctor wants you to throw out right now. <laughs> I'm like, I wanted to click it so bad, but I know that my identity would be stolen. So these are the 10 most, what is it again? The 10 most important craft beers in the history of craft beer. Let me see if I agree with everyone on here, but we'll see. Anchor Brewing, yes, this is one of the beers that when I think like when I really started getting into craft, this is one of the heavy hitters. Established in 1896, Anchor Brewing, we well, listen, we've talked about it before. They use their steam to in the uh, brewing process. Now they've been sold, so they're no longer craft. But they they were the first ones that made like those chubby little um, st- uh, bottles, like the the little bowling not the bowling pins, but the little chubby bottles, whatever the fuck. But they were something that was really interesting for a while. But again, not craft anymore. But again, influential. So I do give them uh, a fair shake with that. Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Yes, this is something that a beer craft fan loves. They hop forward citrusy piney ales. You just Nothing would be the same in terms of craft if it wasn't for Sierra Nevada. Uh, every craft brewer, uh, especially home brewers, they look up to Ken Grossman at Sierra Nevada. And for, for very good reason. They use American-grown Cascade hops with a lot of stuff. Uh, it's got that green label that everyone looks at and just knows about. You know, you can't really miss a Sierra Nevada. The pale ale, bitter enough for you to tolerate, especially for a beginner. Then you go to the Torpedo pale ale or their double pale ale. And, uh, th- you know, it just really builds up your palate. And it's just that West Coast style that uh, that you really love. And it's it's really fantastic. Next up on the list here, we have Samuel Adams Boston Lager from the Boston Beer Company. I mean, what am I going to say about Boston Lager? I did a whole episode on Boston Lager at the beginning, I think, over the end of season two. This is one of the beers that got me into craft beer. Uh, you know, it's you look at uh, Sam Adams and it says just craft beer. This is the the head honcho. You know, when it comes to sales and when it comes to popularity. Next thing up on the list here, we have Blue Moon. Um, uh, I don't think this should be on the list because it was fully developed by Coors and, and still owned by Miller Coors. I know they got sued because of the, uh, the the fact that they lied about it being an Abbey Ale and they had to change it to a Belgian-style wheat. I don't think, I mean, you could put this in the same category as Shock Top. So here we go. I don't agree with Blue Moon being on this list whatsoever. You can pick any fucking Belgian with it from Oma Gang, even though they're half owned by uh, um, Duvel or whatever the fuck. You know, I, there's just so many other options out there in terms of craft that, that are good when, when it comes to Belgians that you don't need to uh, have this on the list whatsoever. Then we have Goose Island, another beer, uh, I mean, another company that was sold recently, but the renowned Bourbon County Stout was the very first beer that, at least in my experience oh shit i forgot how much these coasters suck it just hold on a second it just fell on the floor the fucking glass sticks to it and then it just falls down then again it is extremely sweaty down here so where was i yeah goose island i mean this was the first of the wait for it to come out type beers other than what i can think of uh, like bells when you wait for hop slam to come out those anticipated beers you know, you have your the uh, um, KBSs from um, from founders. What's happening more and more is that these breweries are selling out and they're not being craft anymore. So the only real craft 
that I can think of at the top of my head is Bells's um, Oberon and their Hop Slam when it comes out. But Goose Island is still fantastic. I really am happy that they're able to um, to still maintain that quality. I mean, obviously now with the Bourbon Counties, there's like four or five iterations a year. So they had like the orange label. I talked about it earlier on when before I destroyed the equipment, actually. And then the flood finished it. They had the the red label, the orange label, the silver label. You know, they, they were expanding on something. And I didn't think they had to. I think that was maybe an influence from Anheuser-Busch that they expanded on something that was already just so like, it was a home run already. You didn't really have to do that. Next thing we have up here. Again, this is something that's been recently sold. And it's such a sad thing. But New Belgium, when they had their, um, the fat tire amber ale, when that came out. That really forged a path that everyone was just on board with it. I mean, they, they, New Belgium, for for a period of about four years in the craft beer game in this community, was the the gold standard of craft standing up to the big man. Like, literally, this was the brewery that you could find the beer practically anywhere in the hot spots in the world. It was solid. It was delicious. We loved the presentation of it. We loved the flavors that were involved. It was owned by the employees and, you know, people would see new Belgium fat tire and like you would have people that would be turned off by like Sam Adams or anything like that. And you'd be like, try this right here. And this was the first time we had like a Mars beer or quote, like maybe an Oktoberfest type beer that was able to be just had at any time. Like when you brought a fat tire around, even though they marketed it as an amber ale, it was a little bit sweeter and it had that kick to it. It was an Oktoberfest uh, to what I remember, but uh, really and truly what a, what a fantastic uh, offering that they, uh, that they had such a shame that they had to sell out, but you know, it happens. Then we have dogfish head brewery and they have worldwide stout. Um, I don't know why this one's on the list here. Um, when you think Dogfish Head, you think the you think of the sixty minute IPA, and then of course the the most popular, the one hundred and twenty minute IPA. So I don't necessarily know why Worldwide Stout is on here. It just to me it doesn't have that that influential uh, aspect of what the article is actually trying to purport. So I wouldn't have put this on here. I think that this article is missing. I would have replaced uh worldwide stout with like plain Pliny the elder Pliny Pliny. I don't know the fucking name of it. I mean, this, this was the original double IPA, perhaps the most popular style of the style today. Um, also among the uh, prototypical West coast IPAs that are out there. Uh, and it's up there with like heady topper and stuff like that in terms of one of the most influential beers of all time. Um, so I don't know. I mean, that's just, it's just a little strange to me. And he has also on here on this list, he has Lagunitas. And I would actually go, and this is going to segue into the next part here. I would have gone with Stone over Lagunitas because, again, Lagunitas has sold out, but Stone has been a driving force in the IBU like category in terms of the bitterness that you get. I mean, when you had a Stone IPA, that thing is just so fucking bitter, so fucking memorable. Like, you really can't get over it. And, like... Even like, even if it's not like, if you're going to talk about it like this, if you go with like Pliny the Elder or Pliny the Elder, whatever the fuck, I don't even know how it's pronounced. I'm not going to look it up. You could even possibly go with Stone's Arrogant Bastard Ale because of that hoppy West Coast IPA style that really just resonated over the community for so long. Um, you know, it, ha- it held a resonance over 
the community for a while that, you know, you just, you just don't get that anymore. Not that you don't get anymore, but it's just, it's like, um, I'm sorry. What am I trying to say here? I tried clicking the next article before. Everything is just so wide open right now. I was going to mention this earlier and I'm going to mention it now. I'm on Facebook and I'm seeing what breweries are offering and stuff like that. It's like a fucking rainbow. It's like Skittles right now. They're, they're, the craft beer industry is so desperate to try to compete with the hard seltzers. They're, they're, they're releasing purple looking beers and saying that it's a fruit smoothie. They're releasing bright red beer, bright yellow beer, orange beer. It's like, it doesn't look like beer anymore. And like, I want to maybe, I just want to take a stand against it, but at the same time, I don't want to hurt the industry. So it's like, it's tough. It's really tough. But I, I just think that like, I don't know. I just, I, I, it doesn't sit well with me that these breweries are doing this, you know, let me know what you think. Email me about it, huh? All right. I hope I didn't do this wrong because maybe the best for last mentality doesn't work with this because I do feel like I lose some people. Um, when I go a little bit on a tangent and stuff like that. And now this is from porchdrinking.com, One of the best sites that you could get for craft beer news If you don't want to listen to the podcast and you want it quick, just go ahead and go there. But I give my opinions and stuff like that. But this made me felt like an asshole for just a second. And then I kind of analyzed exactly what we were talking about here. I I tried to try to figure out what exactly happened here. But the Stone Brewing founder, Greg Koch, responds to Sawstone's Brewing's situation. Now, if you didn't listen last week, Stone Brewing Company is suing a very, very small brewery, a very, very small brewery, I think in Kentucky, for using the word stone in their name, okay? And this guy responds here. Let me see. Where is it? Okay. Hold on. Here's his full... Let me do his full response here. It's a, there's a link in the article to his full response. I'm going to try to read a little bit of that for you right now, and then I'm going to tell you what I think about it. So this is his response here. Yes, I'm of illegal drinking age. Thank you. So the first thing that you're going to realize when you read this is that this guy has such a fucking tongue-in-cheek, snooty attitude towards the whole situation. Like, I, I think he's trying to be funny, like trying to have this levity going on here. But I think it's in response to the amount of fucking heat that this guy's getting in terms of their practices. So this is his words right here from now on. And I'm going to, you know, when I, inter- when I go in, I'll go in. I'd actually recommend you not to, not to, to bother. I'd, excuse me, let me start over. I'd actually recommend you not to bother to read this. Sure. It's got some schadenfreude, but your average quote, Karen or quote, Ken video is probably more entertaining. Your choice stuff needed to go down in pixels for the record. So that's what this is for. So now I'm already turned off. Like I, the first paragraph, I'm like, dude, you you want to conduct yourself with this professionalism, right? Right? Because you, 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 you'll see in the articles, in his words, as we go along, how he wants to conduct himself when it comes to the legalese. But in the beginning, he wants to say this stupid shit, but we'll continue. Some people say that I'm an asshole. Others credit me, uh, parentheses, and Stone, with being one of the most positive influences in the, sto- influences in the story arc That is the craft beer uh, revolution. I've been called an idiot, a shaggy stoner, 
just to go to the comments section of, well, pretty much anywhere, and you'll see a, you'll see a range of lovely feedback. When I look in the mirror, I just see a passionate beer geek that's willing to speak up from time to time and share my truth. When you do that, not everyone's going to like it. And if you're not going to get criticism, sometimes ferocious criticism, then you're probably not doing much. Anyway, over the last week or so, much ado has been made over our attempt to protect our name, Stone Brewing Company, and our registered trademarks. And this quote, much ado, quote, involved a lot of ferocious accusations and name calling for good reason and based in truth, you ask? While, quote, the truth is hardly a common goal for our internet culture today, grab the popcorn and I'll give you that answer. (laughs) This may or may not supply you with a italic here, rage dopamine hit. Some of you might have arrived here with a full mug of it, sipping away as you read, you go. This is like the part of it that makes me so fucking angry. And it's funny because like he knows that it's going to make people more mad, you know, but we'll, we'll continue. What I'm talking about is the coordinated harassment campaign aimed at our company, me personally, our locations, and wide range of our employees at a brewery in Eastern Kentucky, uh, by a brewery in Eastern Kentucky that has been using the name Sawstone Brewing Company. They say they opened a little under a year ago, August 2019, but until a week ago, I'd never heard of them. Fucking surprise, surprise, me neither, no one did. I might just comment as I go along. This asshole is talking about this coordinated campaign aimed at his personality and all this bullshit. Dude, you are a, probably a fucking millionaire and one of the biggest breweries in craft. Like, keep that in mind. You're not this fucking, this starving fucking artist. All right? So, when I did, I'm going to continue. When I did learn of them the first time, uh, it was to learn that they were mad, very mad, that they'd felt that uh, they'd been wronged. The issue, you see, was over our trademark, our need to protect it. As a result, we became the worst ogre ever in the minds of some of their folks. The whole hullabaloo has come as quite a surprise to us, not just me. You see, over the years, when someone attempts to register a name slash trademark related to beer that we believe is confusedly similar to ours, we regularly file an objection to the register to the registration with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. It's routine part of business being a trademark owner. Usually, this just happens behind the scenes with the trademark folks, and more often than not, we reach an amicable agreement with other with the other party so we all can continue focusing on our businesses. Keep that in mind, focusing on our businesses. It's not unheard of for us to have beers together and develop friendships. A tiny slice, however, decide that they instead want to try and cry foul. It's a very tiny slice, and this is one of those. Bro, fuck you. Seriously. Forget the popcorn this story calls for a beer, he says. This is so fucking obnoxious. Like, it comes off so fucking obnoxious and so elitist that it makes me sick to my stomach. That the guy is able to sit here and say that he throws his hands up and say, this is a lawyer thing, man. This has nothing to do with me. Dude, you can see the fucking... The, the logos, you see they're completely different. You see, and we heard from these people from Kentucky that they were paying tribute, like the Lightning Kugel people did, to their area with the sawstone brewing, like the sawstone and the tree and stuff like that. There's no fucking gargoyle. There's none of that bullshit going on. So please, 
Save it, dude. Like, I'm not a jerk off. I know what the fuck is going on here. We're going to continue his statement here. A little while ago, a company called Local Pioneers. By the way, we think Local Pioneers is a pretty cool name. In Kentucky, filed a registration attempt for Sawstone Brewing Company. Now, ladies and gents, it doesn't take a super close looking. It doesn't take a lot of super close looking to plainly see our stone brewing company in saw stone brewing company. The last 14 or 17 letters are identically matching our name. We'd be pretty amazed if local pioneers didn't spot it in the tempting of their filing. But any case, it's right there. I honestly do not think that this brewery who is this big and I'm doing like a little is thinking of fucking you thinking of you not fucking you but thinking of you when they're making their beer and making their brand I hardly think that's true I fucking doubt that how pompous of you to think that seriously when such an issue I'm going to continue when such an issue comes up and you might be surprised how often it does Lawyers that handle our trademark stuff routinely communicate back to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office that we're the owners of our trademark and that we object to registration and other marks that are confusingly similar. Like it or not, this is the system in the United States. There you go. That's it. Perfect right there. I might be a billionaire, but I can hide my money over here. Like it or not, that's how it is in the United States. You're right. I mean, I'm pretty sure that this fucking shaggy stoner piece of shit is over there fucking crying about these millionaires hiding their money in the Virgin Islands. But that's the system, man. So fuck you. Seriously. Moving on. In these circumstances, we uh, we invariably attempt to resolve things amicably, and we've done dozens of times the last uh, couple of decades. This is our first rodeo. Um, I would would love to see who else you've crushed along the way. I get it. Keystone, they were really very, very transparent with them trying to infringe on your brand. You are the fucking bully here. You are the fucking bully here. All right? We've been brewing under the Stone trademark for over two decades, beginning when there was a lot of uh, few craft breweries out there. And this kind of thing is part of owning a brand name and a company and identity. Yeah, why don't you just lecture us on how hard it is for you? Sawstone is such a fucking threat, right? Indeed, we've had to frequently stand up to the big beer bullies who tried to steal our name. And I agree with you. Yes, Keystone was infringing on your shit. Just like all businesses, we have to protect our name. Uh, because we've done so, uh, we've done the work to protect our name. Our stone mark is legally incontestable. Sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? Again, this tongue-in-cheek fucking elitist bullshit of him standing on this perch of no one can touch the word stone. And it says here, we are the stone. We are the sole owner of stone as a trademark for beer. So if you even think for a second that you could put the word stone in your in your, in the name of your company, you're going to get sued by these people. And like he does not, he he stands on this and he makes it seem like he's not wrong. But everyone in the community, I mean, not everyone in the community, there are people that, that side with Stone. But dude, it is so fucking clear to me. So now he's saying he's going to set the record straight here with some simple facts. We did not sue like local pioneers in any court. We did not send them a cease and desist letter. We did not make any threats. And then he writes, we didn't kick their dog, take their lunch money, say stuff about their moms. Again, this is so fucking stupid. Like you do this stupid fucking tongue and cheek runaround routine in your official statement about what you're talking about. How can I take you seriously? All right. When you have a, a, a brewery, a small brewery, 
that is that is struggling probably in the pandemic to survive, and then you want to complain that they, they didn't get back to your lawyers fast enough? Because then he gives a little timeline. On May 22nd, our trademark attorney had a phone call with Local Pioneers to discuss scheduling and settlement possibilities. Local Pioneers said they were putting something together and they would send it over. They did not send it. That was on May 22nd. A little, a little more than a month later, I mean, a little less than a month later, July 18th and July 8th, Local Pioneers missed their deadlines. All of a sudden, there's deadlines with, an, with a court and a board. Dude, you're going to say, now you're leaving out the fucking finer details here. We know, we know that this motherfucker here is trying to save his face, trying to save face here with this, I'm going to be cute with this tongue-in-cheek approach. And now he's talking about the bullying, like they were leaving messages of meanness and stuff like that. So sue them for that. Why don't you sue them for that? Then they said they used the cease and desist and stuff like that. And then it goes on and on. And then at this point, I became disgusted by this fucking bullshit in terms of he was using his last resort and he has like, and then he, and then he invokes his disagreements with Miller Coors and stuff like that. Dude, this is more of an incriminating response than it is of anything else. Okay. And I, and I, from this moment on, and it is so sad to me. It is so sad to me that it has come to this. That you would that you would be willing to to try to spit in the face of the people who are trying to side with the little guy. I would have more respect for you if you said, "Listen, I worked hard to get the stone name, and I'm going to keep the stone name no matter what, no matter how big or small you are." I would say, if you're going to be a pit bull in the arena, then so be it. But if you're going to sit there and be like, "We didn't do anything. It's just lawyers talking," this is how it is in America. Like that, you're talking out of both sides of your fucking mouth. And it's and it pisses me off. It's shady. It's fucking shady. Okay? And you're sitting here talking about you're still trying to make it and shit. How about this poor little brewery out there? And I th- I'm pretty sure they're still in a battle with Keystone right now. And you're worried about this shit? Like, come on. And then what are you what are you worried about? It's like a mom trying to figure out the difference between Sega and Nintendo to do the difference between so- Stone and Saw Stone? You gotta be fucking kidding me. They're so fucking different. And this, and, and dude, with your fucking, your little bullshit, with your, with your tongue-in-cheek elitist, like, sarcasm horseshit, fuck off. Fuck off, Stone. I, for the, at least the next six months. I won't even look at them. I won't even talk about Stone. Fuck you. I won't even, I won't even, I, and it's such a shame because they have stood up to the bullies. And I've gone to bat for Stone before in terms of how they had the middle finger in the air to the big guy. And then you put your boot on the neck of the small guy. Fuck off, man. How hypocritical can you be? And I know there's some people that are going to come on the side of Stone. And you know what? You have your opinions. That's fine. But on this show, from here on out, if it's not about Saw Stone doing better than Stone or Saw Stone winning, get there, go fund me. They had to go fund me for 10 grand. It's up to like 17,000, I think, right now. Okay, so there's people out there that are that are fucking pulling for this brewery because you are the big guy. As much as it's like you want to put it into perspective, oh my god, Imbev is so big and blah blah blah, dude. You can't do this to a small brewery and then say that you guys are Scott. You know, hands are fucking clean. You're doing the same thing. It's predatory. Fuck you. Sorry. Let's get to the beer review, shall we? Sorry, I'm sorry I dropped the F-bomb that much. Okay, and I got that ragey. But it, it just, it really fucking irks me that this is happening right now. It really does. 
because it just goes against everything that I just hold dear about craft. And the fact that Stone is doing it really pisses me off. And then I talked about Stone in one of the other articles. I talked about the influential beers. But look what you've done. What have you become? What have you become? By all means necessary, right? Fuck the little guy, huh? How's it feel? How's it feel to be the big guy now? All right, let's let it go now, Adam. Let it go. So here we go. The Barnegat... Barnegat... Lager. Tribute to Old Barney, the most iconic landmark on Long Beach Island, our classic German lager. Has a malty aroma with a subtle fruit flavor from the Munich malt and has a very crisp dry finish available in drafting cans. So it's a really great can. I really love the look of this can. It's got that, like that foil look to it. It's like a shiny blue and a lighthouse. Really, really cool. Product of the USA. Canned. Uh, I can't read those numbers, but let's crack her open here. And let's pour her out into the St. Peter Sullivan vessel of craft beer deliciousness. Let's try to do a good pour here. Something we could be proud of. And oh, oh, oh. close, 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 close. We got it. Okay. So it's got a light copper, like a medium amber color we got going in here. It has a like a classic beer look to it. You know what I mean? Like if you were to say, like if it was in a magazine, like this is what the beer would look like. It's got two fingers of a fluffy white head. Um, it's a nice looking combination here too. You know, I said to myself earlier, I said that it looks like a working man's beer. And I don't want that to, to, to be a, a, you know, a bad thing, you know, but um, pretty, pretty lively looking beer. Just solid all around. Great look to it. Let's get to the smell here, shall we? It's malty and floral. Um, has a grassy uh, German backbone to it. As soon as I smelt this beer, I knew it was going to be good. Because it, 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 if it's marketing itself as a, or if they're marketing it as a German style beer, it has that aroma to it. That spicy floral German hop aroma is there. And there's like a bready uh, smell to it. Slightly toasty. But the sweet malts are, are, are there. They're, they're right on point here. So let's give it a taste now, shall we? Mm. My God, it's clean. It's crisp. It's German. And it's an Oktoberfest. So this is without a doubt a Marzen ale. Or I'm sorry, a Marzen beer uh, in my book. Uh, I... I don't know why I didn't even think to look up a Marzen when I was uh, doing like, why is this beer a 6.3 and it's a Pilsner? I don't understand. I don't understand. And I just didn't, it didn't hit me until I tasted it. Um, It's just without a doubt a Marzen beer in my book. The caramel sweetness is there. It's a full, almost, it's a full caramel sweetness, like a cra- crackers type flavor there, that breadiness uh, slightly toasty, bready malts. And then there's a, a nice bitterness kick at the end, but it's it's quick. It kind of like turns over and then there's like just this full flavor. Um, and it's not too thin on the mouthfeel. It's a very authentic beer. It's very tasty. Uh, I'm pleasantly surprised because anytime a beer market it's, uh, markets itself or speaks of itself as a German style I get a little worried. 
I get a little worried because usually they just do not have what it takes to um, to be a um, a German beer. So I thought, is this a Dunkel or is this an Oktoberfest? It's an Oktoberfest. Dunkels are a little more ex- uh, ex- astringent. And this is a year a year round beer for them. It's driven by the malt and not so much the hops. And we're getting that here. Um, now, I, I don't... I, I, I do think that it could have a little bit more body to it. But it's right in the wheelhouse of like a really good Oktoberfest beer. For example, if if like if we're just gonna move on to the style here real quick, years ago when we did the Oktoberfest special, this easily would have won the craft portion of it, without a doubt, hands down. This is this also could probably go toe to toe with some of the German style Oktoberfest. I shit you not, like this is a pure and authentic German style beer, and one of the one of the more favorited ones, with it being the Oktoberfest beer. It's just. Because a lot of the times the craft Oktoberfests have like this chemical taste to them, like like this manufactured medicinal taste to them. Oh, this isn't happening here. I wish they would they would put here they would put Barnegat Oktoberfest because it is fantastic. So for this beer, I gave it a nine nine point one of the higher rated beers. It doesn't beat uh, the Madonna double IPA with a 9.1 because that beer is really fantastic. Oh shit, what am I doing? What am I doing? It's not an ale, it's a lager. Fuck, fuck me. We, where's the music? Is the music here? Oh, that's the wrong. I'm just, I'm pressing buttons. Where's the, where's the, there it is. This is a, this is a fucking, this is on the Round Rushmore. I'm sorry to start hitting buttons. I'm yelling about stuff, but this is it. This is it, man. I can't believe it. We have a lager that's on the Mount Rushmore. It's overtaking the Five Barrel Pilsner with a 9.1. Yeah. It's Barnegat Lager from Ship Bottom Brewery. It wins. I swear to you. I can't believe it's season three. It's happened. Oh, I'm so excited. You guys got to go out in this beer. I mean, I'm sorry. Hold on. I'm trying to bring it together. Ship Bottom Brewery, Barnegat Lager. Is a nine point one, and it uh, it will beat out season two's Five Borough Pilsner. I don't even remember what I put for Five Borough Pilsner in terms of the uh, the score here, but I'm writing it right now into the ledger. Ship bottom lager, Barnegat burnt, and it gets a nine point one because it's that fucking good. Oh no, no, I gave it a nine. I'm so sorry. Excuse me. Nine point one was to Madonna which was on the ales. I, I don't know why I was just honed in on the ales. It's just, I mean, I have so many of them, but excuse me. This is the beer. Go out there and get it. You will not regret it if it's in your area. I got a Joe Canal. See if you can get yourselves. Get it in your hands. Delicious beer. Thank you all for listening. So sorry I went on a little bit of a rant. I got a burp coming here and it's sticking around, but I had to do what I had to do. Thank you for listening. Always go to www.3beersin.com. You can listen. You could drop us a line there or at 3beersin at gmail.com. And you can visit the merch section and get yourself a shirt. Support Gemunikike via podcast. That's that warm, fuzzy feeling you get when you're drinking with friends, everybody. And I hope you have that when you're drinking with me. Thank you for listening. I'm going to catch you all next week. Stay well. God bless. 
wear a mask and enjoy your week to come. Take care, everybody.